So um, I have three kids, and Easter always brings uh, a few like expectations, right? Um, kids in the room, you expect some Easter baskets, some candy laying around, am I right? Kids are like, yes. <laughs> and parents, we have some expectations of Sunday morning that everybody's going to maybe get in their, their nice Easter clothes that have been laid out, and the chocolate is not going to melt on the clothes because we've got to take a picture at some point, right? Now, how many of you are planning on taking a picture at some point today? Okay, that's not true. <laughs> You're planning on taking a picture at some point today. Um, we have all these expectations. Uh, quick story as, as then we get, we're going to get into the message. But, um, so 16 years ago, on Easter Sunday, my wife wakes up, and um, she's pregnant, and she said, I, I feel like I might be in labor. And I look at her, and I'm like, well, uh, no, it's Easter. We, got it, we, got, we have church, and, and, and your, your due date's not for two and a half weeks down the road, so no, you're not, you're not in labor. And she said, well, I just feel a little different. And I'm like, well, you're, you're pregnant, and... Um, you're a little bit bigger than you were, which is not a good thing to say on Easter Sunday, or any Sunday for that matter. And she said, no, I, I think I should probably call the doctor. So she calls the doctor uh, early on Easter Sunday, and she said, I just, I, I feel strange, and a couple little things going on. And he said, go in, and he hung up. And she was like, go in, hello, go in. And she said, he said to go in, and I said, look, it's going to be a false alarm, I mean, we've read all the stories. This was our first child. We've read all the stories. There's always false alarms. I was like, so let's just go ahead and take a shower and get ready for church. We can go in and then head to church after the shower. So we take showers. We take our time. We drive, you know, to the hospital, and we walk in, you know, kind of dressed for church, and they're like, where are you guys going today? And we're like, well, it's Easter, right? We, gotta, we have some expectations. Uh, we got church, and then we've got the big family dinner and all of that, and the nurse said, well, let's check your wife, and she takes her in, and uh, like in two minutes, she goes, you're going to have a baby today. And we were like, what? Time out. That does not match the expectations of our day. And then, you know, one thing always leads to another, right? And being a first-time parent, I had expectations of what it would be like to, to have a child. And those expectations are not the reality of what happens when you get home, right? Like you see all these people walking through the mall or in restaurants, and their babies are always perfect in those moments. And you think, having a baby is like... I don't know, having a puppy, and it's going to be okay, and, but it's very different. And, and I remember after the first night getting no sleep at the hospital thinking, well, when we get home, we'll get sleep. Well, that's a false expectation because it's like six months before you close your eyes and are able to actually sleep again. So we, we have all these expectations, and I think we have expectations when we come into Easter Sunday. I think all of us have have different expectations. Some of you maybe are here, like I said, to make somebody happy, and you have expectations. It's going to be a little boring, and I'll put up with it just to make them happy, and then we'll go home, and I'll lay on the couch and maybe watch some golf, or we'll have a big meal, or whatever it is. But we have these expectations of what this day is all about, and some of us even have expectations about what God is like and what Jesus is like because we've heard the story so many different times. And the story of Easter is a great story. I mean, it's a story of, of life and hope and peace and God's great love for us. And, and the truth is, like, they've, they've done all kinds of research. In the United States, like, well over 90% of people believe that Jesus lived. I, I, as a pastor, I've, 
for many years thought, I need to come to Easter and I got to bring my A game because I got to convince people that Jesus is real. And then I realized I don't even have to convince you. Most of you already believe that, that Jesus is real. I think our biggest challenge when it comes to the Easter story is our expectations we bring to the table. Because expectations set the table for everything else in our lives. Now, I want to tell you a story today. And I want to tell you the story that that comes after the resurrection of Jesus, right? So on the other side, and I want to tell you the story of a couple of guys or or a couple of travelers who, who maybe had some missed expectations when it came to Jesus. And I think a lot of us can probably relate to these two in a way where, where we think, you know, I thought that God loved me, yet he hasn't quite matched the expectations that I had. You want to go on a journey with me, with these two? Are you up for a little journey this Easter? Yes? Some of, some of you are like, well, we're here, Matt. We might as well. So let's, <laughs> let's go on a journey together. And um, here it is. It's going to be on the screens. If you want to read it later, it's in Luke chapter 24. So if you want to write that down and and, and go back and read it just to make sure I'm, I'm telling you the story um, as it is. But here's what it says. That same day, and it's talking about Sunday. So the Sunday that Jesus was rec- resurrected, the, the Sunday where some followers went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty and they couldn't find Jesus' body, it's that day. So it's that same day, that Sunday, that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, here's here's what's interesting about this to me. These two followers of Jesus are unnamed, right? We, We don't even, at this point, know who they are. They're just two travelers, two followers of Jesus. And they're leaving Jerusalem, the place where where Jesus was killed, was executed, the, the place where they, they buried Jesus, the place where the other disciples were hiding because they were scared they would be put to death too. These two followers leave Jerusalem, and as they head out of town, as they begin this seven-mile walk to Emmaus, they start talking about everything that had happened. Now, we're, we're on this side, and so we've, we've read the stories about the resurrection taking place. And, and so, like, if you're in a movie, like in a movie theater, and you're watching this, this is the moment at which you're talking to the screen, right? You're like, don't leave yet. Don't leave Jerusalem. Something's going to happen. Don't, don't, don't do it. You know, like the, the horror films, and you're like, why would you go back in the house? He's in there. Don't do it. Like, we'd be talking to, to the, the unnamed travelers saying, don't leave yet. We know what's coming. As they talked and discussed these things, the story tells us, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But they didn't recognize him. Now, notice the irony. His followers, who have probably given up some hope, their expectations had not been met in Jerusalem, and the one that hadn't met their expectations, Jesus, like shows up on the journey with them, and yet they don't even recognize him. It's like they're so locked into this tunnel vision that they don't see Jesus walking with them. Now, I find this a little bit of an interesting piece of the story because if I was in charge of Jesus' resurrection, I would tell him, 
you don't need to go with two unnamed travelers that no one knows about. You actually need to go to a larger crowd. You need to go see Pilate, the one who put you to death. You need to go to all the disciples. You need to get Kim and Kanye to text everyone to let them know (laughs) this is not how you make an announcement about your resurrection. It's showing up on a road to some unnamed, unknown village called Emmaus with two two people we don't even know who they are. Like, Jesus, that's not the place where you should be. Like, you should be at the destination. You should be in Jerusalem so that everybody will know what happened. Now, are you with me? Wouldn't you think that's the place to go? Not not with two who have given up hope and who are headed out of town. And I think this is a truth in the Easter story that we often miss. That, That God is not just the God of the destination, but he is the God of the journey. Like, God is not just the God of your destination, but he is the God of your journey. He's the God who shows up even if you don't recognize him being there. He's the God who shows up and wants to walk through your life with you. And here's one of the sad truths. I I grew up in the church. Here's one of the sad truths about, about what we've said in the church again and again and again. We've said that the Easter story is all about heaven when you die. Now, that's true. But what we've left out is that he is the God of the here and now, just as much as he is the God of your destination. He's the God of your journey in the world today with you through his Holy Spirit. And so often we are so fixated on what may be one day in the future that we miss what he wants to do in the here and now. You know what I mean? Like he's the God of your journey just as much as he's the God of your destination. And Easter, I think, screams that truth to us. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, wrote this, life is a journey, not a destination. Life is a journey, not a destination. Uh, I told a few of you this uh, recently. I was, uh, every now, I love to golf, and every now and then I get, I get to get out and golf, and I was playing with some, some friends. A guy had invited me, one of my good friends, and there were four of us, and we showed up, and we get ready to tee off, and sure enough, hole number two, the people in front of us are holding us up. And we're like, come on, are you serious? And my buddy, who was a member of the club that we were playing at, he called the clubhouse, and he's like, hey, can you come out and get these guys to speed up? It's a little slow out here. And um, I know it's embarrassing, but, you know, it's what happened. And so um, we're, we're, like, just trying to get them to hurry up, you know? And I'm thinking, do you want me to hit into them? They won't know me. And he's like, he's like Matt, you can't hit it that far anyway. So just, just hold up. And, and so... You know, we're playing, and, and we're, we're just slowly, you know, getting through the round, and we're waiting on every hole, it feels like, and there's an older man who's with us, and uh, later he said, he said, you know what's funny is, like, we, we talk about how much we enjoy, like, a game like golf, and, and, and it's so much fun when we get out and we actually play, but, but so many of us miss it because we're just worried about hurrying up to the next hole, and it, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I'm just like rushing through it rather than enjoying the experience. You know, golf is not about hole number 18. It's about every hole along the journey. God is not just the, the God of the end. He's the God of the now. So Jesus like shows up. He's walking with them. And it's funny, he's the author of everything. He knows everything about everything because he's Jesus. He's God. And he asks him, what are y'all talking about? Like he doesn't know, right? I mean, that's the Southern translation. What are y'all talking about? But um, what's this you're discussing as you walk along, I guess is the formal version of saying that. And um, they just stood there like they lost their best friend. They couldn't, they couldn't believe that he didn't know. And he, 
They said to him, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened. And then they began to tell the whole story that we had thought he was going to be the Messiah. And then our leaders went and they killed him. All of these things happened. We thought he was the one to rescue Israel and to lead us out. And now um, some of the women in our group had, have completely confused us, which that's like another sermon in and of itself. They were at the tomb, but, but his body was gone. And then some of our other friends went uh, just to check it out, and they found it empty, just as they said, and they didn't see Jesus. They didn't see him. And here it is, like the, the, the moment where, where they expressed to, to Jesus himself, they don't know who it is, but they expressed to Jesus their disappointment in Jesus. Like he didn't do what we thought he was going to do, and now we've given up. And, and I believe that so many of us have set these expectations on God. And, and we, we have these, these dreams and we've conceived these notions of, of if God loved us, then this would happen to me. And, and here's what I believe this, this, this gives us a glimpse of, is the truth that, that, that God wants to meet us in the middle of our disappointment on the journey. He wants to meet you and he wants to meet me in the middle of our disappointment, not simply extract us from our fears and our pain. And this is what, what, this is what many of us want, isn't it? We want to be extracted from it. We, we want to just get out. Like, I, if, if God loves me, then life would not have turned out like it is right now. Have you ever thought that? That, that, that if God really loved me, then I would have been married by now. But I'm not. And, and so... I'm not so sure if, if God does love me. I'm not so sure that, that he really cares about me. And maybe I believe in him, but I'm disappointed. Some of you, um, maybe in your life you've thought this, that, that I believe that if God really loved me, that when I got married, it would take care of the things going on deep inside of me that nobody else knows. That I thought marriage would help fix some of the things in here that I've, I've hidden from everyone else. And... and and if God loved me, he would have just taken that away. He would have taken that out. He would have, he would have done away with that. Some of you have, have maybe thought from time to time that, that if God was really who God said he was, then, then I would have had that job. Because God said that he would give me all of my desires, the desires of my heart. And I wanted that so badly. Have you ever found yourself saying, this is not how I thought life would end up? See, God doesn't just want to extract us from our fears and our pain because he knows, he, he wants to meet us there because he knows that it's in that pain and disappointment that we truly become the people he's created us to become. Jesus himself, on the night that he was betrayed, he was in the garden and he, he kneeled down before his heavenly father, his father, and he prayed, God, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any way to get through this without me dying, Please let it be. Please let it be. But God knew that it was through the greatest pain we would experience the greatest freedom this world has ever known. And could it be that God wants your greatest fear, your greatest pain, your greatest disappointment to lead to your greatest strength in life? You see, life isn't just about 
getting away from the pain because sometimes it's the pain that makes us who we are. And this is the story of Easter. It's not that God just wants to beam me up, Scotty, but it's that God wants to meet us in the disappointment and walk us through the disappointment so that we can become the kind of people he's created us to become. I mean, that's the truth of resurrection. That's the hope of this world because all of us experience it. All of us experience death. All of us experience disappointment. All of us have fears and pain in our life. And it's not that God wants to pull us out. He actually wants to meet us there. And Jesus meets these two travelers in the moment of their greatest disappointment. They come to the edge of Emmaus, the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as though he were going to continue on. He was going to keep going on. But they, they begged him to stay. So he went home with them. I mean, in the modern language, we would say they, they had come to the end of the road. But they just couldn't let go. It's unnatural. Some of you will get that later. Um, they, they, they come to the place where they were going to veer off, and Jesus acted as though he was going to continue, and they begged him to stay with them. Come in, come in, come in. And he does. He goes in. And as they sat down to eat, now watch this. As he sits down to eat with them, he takes the bread and he blesses it. Now, do you notice something strange about this? Whose house is it? It's the traveler's house, right? It's their home. But Jesus sits down and he like takes over what's going on. He reaches across the table, he takes the bread, and he prays over it. Have you ever had anybody come into your house and like you're preparing a meal or something and, and, and they sit down and they're like, hold up. And they reach across your table and they take some food and they start praying over it. That would be a little uncomfortable, wouldn't it? But Jesus takes control. He sits down, he breaks the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them. And now it's like it's his, right? He, he's, he's now giving them the bread that is already theirs. And at this moment, their eyes were opened. At this moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus. And at that moment, he disappeared, which was probably another disappointment for them, right? <laughs> like, wait a minute, where'd he go? He was just right here. And I figured out who it was, and now he's gone. I think one of the greatest disappointments for Christians in our world today is found because we have invited him into our lives. We've invited him into our lives, but we've relegated him to the spiritual corner. We've relegated him to certain places, and we're only interested in Jesus in our lives when he can help us with something. We've kind of set him to the side, and the truth is, the invitation of Easter isn't just to invite him in, but it's actually to give him the lead of our lives, to give him the head of the table where he can begin to take our lives and, and bless them. Many of us have invited Jesus in, but we've relegated him to these, these corners, these, these moments that we, we think we might need him. And these two travelers, they, they, they say, didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us? I mean, the, the story continued, didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us? As he explained all these things and and. And within the hour, now think about it, it was dark. 
Like they had gotten home, the, the journey was done, they were eating dinner. It, it, was, it was dark and it was a seven-mile journey back, but it didn't matter because everything had changed when they gave Jesus the lead. When they gave Jesus the lead, they were headed back to Jerusalem where all the action was about to take place, right? It wasn't in simply inviting Jesus in, but it was actually in giving him the prominent place within their lives at the head of the table that he revealed himself and then he changed the current direction of their lives. Now, here's, here's the, the last piece, and I think this is the truth of Easter, and, and I want to leave you with this idea that new life comes, hope comes, peace comes, direction comes, resurrection comes when Jesus is not just invited into the corner of your heart, but when he's given the prominent place in your life, because it's in that place that he can actually begin to do something to transform you and me into a new kind of people. If, if, if our only expectation of Jesus is to come in so that one day we can be transported to heaven, then we're missing the joy and the fullness of resurrection and Easter in the world in which we live today. And if you want your life to be different, if you want your work to be different, if you want your marriage to be different, if you want your parenting to be different, if you want your grandparenting to be different, if you want your vocation to be different, if you want it all to be different because you've realized that I can't figure it out on my own, the truth is God is with you. He's with you in the journey, and he wants to meet you in those disappointments so that he can transform you and you can experience hope and peace and direction and resurrection in the here and now of your world. And that is the truth of Easter. That's the story of Easter, right? Right? Yeah. And that's what we celebrate. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me today, and um, I, I want us, maybe it's for the first time for you. I want us to declare that, that the resurrected Jesus is actually resurrecting us, that he's given us new life. And I want to say a prayer over you, so I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and, 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 and just bow your heads just for a moment. And I want to ask you, if, if you, maybe it's sometime in the past or, or maybe it's today, if, if you are someone who would say, I want Jesus, I want him to be the king and the leader of my life, I want him in the prominent spot in my life. As I say this prayer, I want to just ask you just to raise your hand, just to slip your hand up. And maybe this was a decision you made years ago, but you're saying, yes, he is the leader of my life. So just, if that's you, just slip your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, he's king of our lives. He's the leader of our lives. And Easter reminds us of that. God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy. We're, thank we're thankful for the resurrection of Jesus, not because of just the destination but because of the journey that we all walk through each and every day. God, meet us in the journey. Meet us in our disappointments and transform us. Change us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.